What's good, y'all? It's your boy, Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast, where I have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. And I am really excited for y'all to check out this episode, y'all. This is going to be really, really dope, but I'm going to get to that in just a hot second. Before I introduce y'all to my friend, I wanted to just ask y'all to think about three questions. Has this podcast brought you joy? Has this podcast been your commuting buddy to work? And have you learned something new from this podcast? If you answered yes to any of these questions and you are longing for ways to support the show, don't worry, fam, I got you. Here are four simple ways to support the show. Number one, leave a review wherever you're able to drop one. Number two, follow RTWD on Instagram. Number three, share the show with somebody you love and share your favorite episode and tell them why you love it. And then four, join the real fam on Patreon. I have a ton of different tiers that you can join. The, the lowest one starting at $3. Um, but there are so many things that go into putting into a podcast and it is actually not free to run. For example, just like a host site costs $100 a year and that was just straight out of pocket for me to do that. So check that out. That link is in the show notes. All right, y'all. Now on to the guest, my friend, Melanie De La Carpio. Melanie is Peruvian, a tourist, and is continuously discovering more about herself. She is also a llama lover, llama, and lifelong learner who wants to believe that there is still good in the world, don't we all? Melanie and I dive into a taboo topic in the black and brown community, colorism. She shares about her own exp- she shares about her own exploration of her racial identity, why she believes colorism is just a safe word to say anti-black, and why she no longer identifies as a person of color. Which that last one threw me, y'all. I like literally I say it multiple times in the episode. <laughs> we explore the importance of knowing ourselves in order to be the best allies we can. And I gotta just say this, y'all. I was incredibly honored at how much Melanie shared and the honesty and courage it takes to like put all this out into the ether. So I hope y'all enjoy it. All right, y'all. Here's Melanie. Well, Mel, thanks so much for hopping on to the pod. Really appreciate you coming through. I just would love to have you just kind of like introduce yourself to the real fam. Okay. Awesome. My name is Melanie Del Carpio. Um, Kyphen Garrett. I haven't done that yet. So you had uh, Marcus, my partner, spouse, husband, etc. <laughs> um <laughs> on your podcast. And so, yeah, we recent actually recently got married during the pandemic. Um, and we are finally, and hopefully, yes, I'm putting it out in the universe that our, um, celebration of our marriage will be happening in a few weeks. So, um, what else? I am also a first generation, um, child of immigrants. So my parents immigrated from Peru and I was born here in California in the Bay Area. I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, rep the hyphy movement. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> um, so, but every time E40 does come on, you know, I gotta, I gotta move my head and go stupid. So that's just, I get you. <laughs> that's just how it goes. Um, so throw back to middle school. I just, yes, you hear, tell me when to go. And you just, you just, you get up from your seat, you're getting your snack. You're get. you're like, you're ready. You're ready. (laughs) So that is, um, yeah, I'm an educator as well. So very passionate about access and that's about it. 
that's about it. Just exploring how to be my most like authentic and true self. And that has been a journey that I'm sure we'll talk a little about a little bit about today. So yeah. Yes. Aren't we all? Yes. No, that's, that's great. How has like this process of like learning and understanding yourself kind of gone for you in the last few years? Yeah, it's been, I feel like to, I like to think about it in stages. Um, So just to give you a little bit more context, I, yes, right. Like uh, my parents are Peruvian immigrants, um, but I actually got to much similar. I feel like in like in Southern California, right. Like there's areas that are cheaper for houses. So my parents like worked in the Bay, like Silicon Valley area, but they commuted and, you know, they were able to buy a home, like really, really like out, you know, an hour and a half away. So in that, it was a small suburb. Um, mostly I grew up with around a lot of um, like white, um, white, white folks. Um, so I think because of that, um, I, kind of grew up with a mentality of like not wanting to really explore my culture um, or identity just because it wasn't like fitting the mold that was around me. So then, you know, ergo come like through college and like really getting to know other um, friends who are part of the Latin diaspora, like, Mm -hmm. and just really getting to see their journey and how they grew up around people who did share their same culture. it really had me exploring like, okay, what does it mean for me? Uh, And then, so that was like the first stage, I would say like the awakening per se. And then um, I feel like now I'm in this stage of realizing my culture and identity, but then uh, digging a little bit deeper into the nuance of what like Latinidad is Mm -hmm. and how freaking crazy messed up it is. Yo, so I completely missed the opportunity to ask Melanie to explain what Latinidad is. So I will give a very brief explanation here. There is no particular definition for Latinidad. It is more of an encompassing term for Latin American culture. But there lies the issue, which I'm not going to get into. I'm going to let Melanie get to that later. And I'm treading lightly here for a couple of reasons. Number one, this is not my community. I'm not Latinx. I'm I, That's not my community. So the only thing I can really do is, you know, provide the sources, read um, and recite the things that I heard and give credit to those voices, the the people that are directly impacted, right? And number two, many Afro-Latinx and indigenous journalists, organizers, academics, and so on have made the case that the term Latinidad and any other term like it serves at least four purposes. So the number one is it creates this like dominant socioeconomic and political power block that's commensurate on that demographic majority status. Number two, It serves as a mechanism of negotiation with and approximation to white supremacy. Three, completes the colonial project of erasure of indigenous and black folks within Latinx communities. And then four, serves as a racial buffer zone between white and black populations, in particular as an obstacle to the latter. Um, And where I fall in that spectrum. So I think for me, it's been in this last year, I've been exploring more of that nuance, um, especially as, you know, last year, uh, the movement of Black Lives Matter and just like kind of wanting to explore more of like how to center, because even in in the culture of Latinidad or whatever, like Latinidad is even just in itself kind of like this, it doesn't mean anything kind of thing because Mm. there's just a lot of complexities to it. But even just thinking 
like during Black Lives Matter last year, there were signs of like Latinx for Black Lives. And it's like, mm. when you think about that, it's a little ignorant because we have Afro Latinos, like like mm. Latinx people are Black. Like, yeah. and so I think we like knowing more of that, exploring that more of that nuance is really, really important um, for me personally, uh, especially you know, I'm married to Marcus, who is black. And I think about, you know, if we ever like have children in the future or anything like that, like what is like these nuances really do matter. Right. Mm-hmm. And like how how I can do better and like centering like actual marginalized folks, because I don't like right now, I feel uncomfortable calling myself a person of color um, mm-hmm. just because you know, of the things that like I've learned and I guess we can talk about that, but. Um, it kind of gets me going. I, I remember even like looking at the Latinx uh, folks for like black lives and I really didn't think too much of it. Is this something that's more new for you or was it like really sparked by, by last year or was it, or was there like a pivotal moment that you had to like really start thinking about your racial identity? Yeah, I think like, so like I mentioned, like I've been on the journey, right, of kind of exploring, but I feel like this nuance was like kind of just really hit this year. So I don't know if any of you all who are listening are fam- or remember or are familiar with um, Mia Ponsetto. Like she was a woman who identifies as being Puerto Rican. Um, she like assaulted a 14-year-old black boy um, saying that, accusing him that he stole her cell phone and she like literally like assaulted him and she was 22 she's like 22 23 she's not a little girl she's grown she's she's grown and in her interviews um like she like silenced scale and all that but like she said like i can't be racist like i'm puerto rican um and i feel like that paired up with like yeah just like even from last year um like that really hit me just because I was like, shoot, like this girl that I'm looking at, like on the video, like she shares a lot of my features. Like she has darker hair like me. She has brown eyes. Like she is olive like me, you know, not like, like Anglo white, but just definitely, you know? And so I was like, how is this lady like, you know, she's claiming she can't be racist, right? Because she's Puerto Rican, but you still definitely can be. So I think that has sparked um, kind of more of like exploring, like, what does, what does that mean? Because if, if that girl looks like me, then she can actually pretty do, do a lot of damage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what type of damage can I do or what type of damage have I done without me even knowing? Uh, so I've been following this girl she's really awesome um she's colombian and she's on instagram and she ha- holds these like conversations about like exploring the nuances and like talking about there was like this thing of like pero am i white or am i white passing and mm. like there isn't a difference cuz mm. i think when we have in the us context um we think white as Anglo, right? Like, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, like that. But like Spaniards who conquered, (laughs) um, you know, a lot of Latin America, they were 
they're, they don't look Anglo. They were yeah. brown hair, like brown eyes, like, you know, olive skin, like, you know, like the proximity to white, yes, and light, but they weren't like indigenous, right, mm-hmm. folks. So I think she really goes really well into this depth. Um, her name is Priscilla Garcia Jacquier. I don't know how to, the, that part is French. So she's like French Colombian and she really talks about like the mess of Latinidad and like, you know, being okay with exploring, like if you're a white Latino, then you're a white Latino. And so I think for me specifically, um, I've been exploring more of that. Like, where do I fall in that spectrum? Because I said earlier, like, I, I don't have the same experiences, people who are indigenous or black or really brown, you know, I don't think I, I go through those same um, struggles, to be honest. I've been doing a lot of like self-reflection of like, I, I don't, I have never been followed in a store. Like, like, of course there is prejudice. Like there is moments of, oh, you know, ignorance of, okay, like, do you speak Peruvian? Like those things like that, but they're not, (laughs) they're not life threatening. You know what I mean? Like I'm never, like I haven't been in a situation where I'm like fearing for my life. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that alone has made me really think about that privilege and like my proximity to white skin. So even though, Again, in the U.S. context, I think when we think of white or when we're filling out those little, you know, what your race or identity or whatever things on the surveys, it's like when it says white, we think as in the U.S. context again, like we think Anglo, like Britain or something like blonde hair, blue eyes, like very, you know, we but in in Latin America, if you take me back to Peru, like I'm going to be actually looking like the white Peruvians that Mm. are there. Like, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to be treated as such and looked upon as such because the U.S. has such has limited so much of the view of like what Latinx or what Lati- Latinos look like. Mm-hmm. Um, put Jennifer Lopez up there, put Eva Longoria like, you know, those are the people we just start to, in the U.S. context think of. But there are indigenous latinx folks there are afro latinx folks like there there we are like a diaspora but i think in the u.s we've just really narrowed it down to be like you're just like a little like if i did a little drop of tan in the white like boop like just that little bit that's what that's as far as we can accept Mm -hmm. like just that and then you know they get like oh first latina to do this first latino to do that and they're all they're all white. (laughs) They're all very light, you know? Um, And there's not a lot of representation. And I think the danger in that is that we can, and me speaking as, you know, a lighter skin, my proximity to white skin, Latinx person, is we can do damage because we can actually take a spot or like take the stage of Cause no one's going to question us of like, if, if I wanted to, I could be like, yep, I'm a person of color. I've been marginalized this way. I'm trying to advocate and blah, blah, blah. Nobody would question me. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause why would they? But if I don't do that work and kind of the nuance of identity in myself, uh, I could be very dangerous because I could just center it on me, but I really haven't had those experiences that a lot of like my community does. Mm, so or mm. in my culture 
Um, and so I think, you know, with Mia Ponsetto and just exploring that, it's like, how do I center, how do I constantly center blackness, you know, mm-hmm. and not center myself or my like situations that, you know, I, I like it's valid, right? Like to feel the things I feel or still microaggressions or whatnot. But in the end, like, I'm still able to navigate spaces and talk to people. And, you know, I I told Marcus, like, at the grocery store, like, I still have, like, white Anglo people looking me in the eye, being, like, upset that the line is, like, you know, getting long. And they're looking for that camaraderie, like, I validation, yeah, that validation. And they look at me. So they don't do that to Marcus. They don't do Mm -hmm. that to, you know, and it's, like, it's I'm that comfortable, like, knowing that, like, I'm that comfortable quote-unquote ethnic person for like white anglo people like Mm -hmm. it's like i'm just that like i pass like i pass their test of like oh you're you're like i'm comfortable telling you like my racist jokes because it's like i'm right there close in that proximity yeah just like you pass the the eye test yeah yeah yeah. even for somebody who's like more darker skins like the when there is like a proximity to whiteness the uh there is a um, a lot of hoops, there's an act that you have to put on in order to like let those walls of of the white person or the the proximity of whiteness to like let them come down um, before they feel comfortable to like say, oh, like you're not one of those, I can say this or whatever. But like those, I feel like there's not limited, but there are less boundaries or, or whatever like ideas of like who you could potentially be or the type of response they'll get from you if they just look at you. The way that we talk about race and ethnicity in America is just so American. Okay, so oftentimes what will happen in everyday conversations around race or ethnicity is that the two will be said as if they are interchangeable and they're not. There's a lot of confusion there, so I just want to clarify for you and then you can go ahead and tell your friends and act all smart and stuff. Ethnicity refers to cultural factors including nationality, regional culture, ancestry, and language, all right? Race, on the other hand, has to do with the physical characteristics of someone, i.e. skin, hair, eye color, etc., all right? So very, very different. Okay, back to the combo. Um, like racism exists everywhere, xenophobia, all those things exist everywhere, but the way that we look at whiteness, the way that we look at anti-blackness is so American that like when we have conversations like this, we really have to put it into context and like understand like how these systems like came to play. And like, it goes back to like, not just slavery, but the institutionalization of why slavery existed, why slavery was perpetuated, and then also why whiteness was deemed as the default and acceptable and why blackness was not. And so like how, as we've navigated history, gotten to where we are now, it's just so interesting to me how like how folks get so defensive when we talk about a light-skinned privilege. It's just, yeah, it's just really interesting to me. It's like a difference of experience and a difference privilege and acceptance within American society, whether it be in media, whether it be in power, authority, all these different things, um, because of the closeness to whiteness. And, and mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, like if you're biracial, multiracial, any of those things, like if you are black, it's the one drop rule. You are black. And so like yep. there's obviously you're not going to be treated as such a white, but there's still like this acceptance or lesser threshold of difference that somebody who's darker skin has to experience. And I, I even think about my mom because my mom's much lighter skin than than I am, like very like much lighter skin than I am. Yeah, yeah I think also like 
you know, as you were talking, just like coming up in my mind was um, in this time for me, in listening to other like, you know, white Colombian uh, Priscilla on her like Instagram and everything like I've it's not a great feeling to like I'm like, man, like, so I'm white. You know, like, mm, I don't mm. want to be white. <laughs> so, but it's, but it's also like, it's been really good for me to know that nuance because, mm. again, I rather do that work and nuance exploration in like myself because I could be dangerous. Like, I could actually be doing, do something harmful to a person of color mm. um, I could take center stage instead of a person of color like I could you know I could easily profit if I wanted to right like off of these if I created my own like nonprofit or like this like you know social justice movement or whatever right and I could do that and no one would question me and I would you know literally take away things um, from my own culture like even like my ancestry has because because the thing is with a lot of latin america you know there's like a lie of mestizaje in the sense of like like what does that even mean we don't know anymore right but in the whole history of everything it's like i have colonized in me and i have colonizer like mm. that's just who that is the type of ancestry that i have and so it's really easy for me in the U.S. context if I wanted to, like, be like, tell everyone that I can, I practice rituals from my Incan ancestors and sell, like, artistry and artifacts, right, and, like, do my own little cultural stuff, and, and if I made a profit and a business out of it, nobody would question me. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually super damaging to actual, like there's still Inca, they still speak Quechua in some areas in Peru. They, they grew up in that culture. That's like who they are. Like we're erasing our very like ancestry mm. by doing that. Um, and so it's like, I don't feel comfortable, right? Like saying I can do these practices or medicinal things that, you know, I know still exist today in parts of Peru. So I can't almost a cultural appropriate my own culture. Like that would be very, very damaging, right? No, I feel that. I feel like there's even conversations about like, because there's a difference between like black folks literally from yeah. the motherland and like they're here or they're, or they like have like the cloth and everything like that. And then there's like a difference of like black folks that are here. And then all of a sudden they do a DNA test and they're, oh, I'm just going to start repping this. It's like, wait, you actually have no idea like, um, what that is. And there is a level of like appropriating a culture that isn't yours. And I feel like these kind of conversations are kind of hard to have because you're like, how are you going to tell me I'm blah, 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 blah. But it's, yeah, it's very interesting how even in the subcultures of like blackness or la, the Latinidad, how is it? I, I want to make sure I'm saying, I'm pronouncing uh, it right. Latinidad? Latinidad? Or, yeah. 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 Just like the, those conversations are happening too. Do you yeah. feel like, and going back to like the, kind of like racial identity piece, do you feel like it is when folks are just like lighter skins, do you feel like people don't want to be associated with whiteness, like white culture or like being white or lighter skins? Like, what do you feel like are white skinned? I'll say. Yeah, that's a great question. What is the, what do you feel like the hesitancy is? And even I'll say like this for you, not 
Gen- right. I'll, I'll take the generalization. <laughs> yeah. That. So um, before I answer that, I do just want to like uh, just put it in the comment of when you're talking about like similar to like black folks of you know wearing kente cloth and all that stuff that you just mentioned i do want to though acknowledge that there is privilege in in being first generation right there is privilege in knowing where you immigrated from Mm. so i i don't i wouldn't like i don't know if i would compare that similarly because it's like you were like your ancestry was forced immigration right like you don't know where you're you know from so it's like you can celebrate those things because you were you know probably lineage of like amazing royalty you know all these different things so i think they're in in that like immigration and knowing where like i come from it's like that is a privilege mm-hmm. um so it's like i know particularly like you know i can't appropriate incan culture and stuff like that yeah, yeah, yeah but but i think there's a different type of like celebration that can be like had when it's it's, it's different like i can't again i can't speak you know for the black community, but I just do want to acknowledge that that's like no, yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> no, no, no. I appreciate that. No, th- there is a there is a clear distinction. What I'm referring to is like there are conversations within the black community of like those who are from like Ghana, Nigeria, all those different places, and they're like, "Yo, you can't do this." And then from people that are from the U.S. of like, but we don't know. I did a DNA test. Like, this is a majority, and like, kind of te- trying to take ownership. Those are just conversations that are happening. For sure, um, for sure. Okay, so okay. it's really interesting. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get you. Thank, yeah, no, that's yeah. a really good distinction. Yeah. I appreciate you for saying that for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think for me specifically, I think it's a little bit of both where when I think of, again, me being born in the U.S., I think when I think of white, I think of like the Karens, <laughs> right? And so I think when I, it, it, it's like, in look and also attitude and so it's like I don't want to be any part of that (laughs) um but I do acknowledge like that there is moments where like that happens and that could be because I grew up in that suburb um or it could be because of the way I've been able to navigate the world as a lighter skin or my proximity to white skin person Mm. right and so I think the the part where you you feel that a lot when you have the like senses or any of those like you know surveys that say the first question is are you Hispanic or Latino right you Mm -hmm. say yes or no and then the next question is race and there's no option like other than white for you to really put right because it says um you know native or hawaiian native asian uh african-american black and then white like that's you know so i think there's been tiktoks recently actually like oh like what do i put blah blah blah. like all these kind of like funny things but at the same time it's like like it's frustrating but that's what we are like we are the question is are you Hispanic or Latino? And that's ethnicity, but you can be a completely other race. So that's why for Afro Latinos, that question's very easy for them. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're Hispanic Latino and they're black. Yeah. There's no there's no question. Like there's for for us, I think it's like when we see that word white in the US context again, we're thinking, well, like, but I'm not, and I don't look like Karen. Like I don't like, you know, again, like me with my almost like very dark brown hair I have like thicker eyebrow you know just like I when you look at the phenotypes of when we think of a white person in the U.S. we don't want to put that 
And I think that's where that um, kind of cringe feeling happens. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, like I said earlier, if you fly me to Peru right now, like there's no question that I wouldn't be a white Peruvian. Mm. <laughs> So it's just when we're put in this context. So I think because America or the U.S. like thrives on white supremacy, it does a good job at confusing, you know, all of us and really wanting almost this like distinction or separation or battle. Like we're all the thing is, like, we're all trying to, like, fight the common enemy of white supremacy. Right. Yeah. And so it's like if I am doing the work within me of knowing that nuance, like that actually helps white supremacy die a little bit more like because then like Mia Ponsettos wouldn't be able to happen in the heights those actors like what I was just telling Marcus like what if one of those actors were like or actresses were like oh well I don't want to take this role because this is in like Jackson Heights or you know where where it's mostly Dominican like Latinos you know like and they're Dominicans um, are Afro-Latinos. So like, what if somebody who looked like me was able to like, you know, was offered the role, but then what if somebody, you know, who looked like me was like, you know what, like, no, I'm not going to accept this role because I need to make room for the representation of that actual community. And what, and what would that have looked like, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that is what, we're all trying to aim for is to really do right and center the folks that need to be centered. It's a hard pill to swallow for sure. And like, I've been talking to with it a lot with my friend um, from the Bay area and she and I, like, we were just like looking at like our family, right. We're just like, man, like Rick, like they're white, like they're white, like (laughs) our family is white. And, and I have cousins that have green eyes and blonde hair. Like my dad's side of the family is very like, there's some blonde in there. Like, and that's something too, that I've also been understanding of not only is it like in my family, but I think a lot of times I I do want to think that, you know, people in my family were in love and, you know, married each other because of that but part of me is like "Mm, it was probably an intentional marriage to get lighter right Mm -hmm. to get light and and better quote-unquote better the race get lighter so I don't think it's a coincidence that like I have family members who are like blue-eyed green eyes you know like I think those were intentional decisions um culturally and because society was telling like you know, the the anti-blackness that exists in Latinx culture um, is telling you to do. So mm-hmm. it's like, let's erase, erase, erase. And so even though, like, what's interesting is, like, um, in my ancestry, I have, like, 50% Indigenous and 50%, um, like, European, right? Italian and, and Spanish. So it's like, we even though we might have all that it's like they're still very racist like towards indigenous peruvians um Mm. and so i have family members where it's been i've heard very very horrible things about like indigenous peruvians that have come out of their mouth even though i bet if they take you know a dna test their ancestry tells them the same thing 
Yeah. Um, and I so, was about, I was just about to ask, like, you have you taken a DNA test before? Yeah. yeah. And it turns out that I'm 100% that bitch. So. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah. <laughs> I can't just move on. That. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> so, but yeah, so like I was saying, yeah, it's like basically 50-50. But like I said, just because I'm 50 doesn't mean like all of a sudden I can, you know, claim ink and culture and start practicing all these things just because that says that you know again yeah. it's i mean i'm i'm almost like erasing it or just like not even kind of acknowledging that that culture and and language still exists right mm. yeah so um yeah and i think like with the intentional like relationships or marriages that i've seen in my family it's been tougher with those who might have married somebody who's darker right mm. um and, and i've seen that like whether it's like you know the whole like oh look they're so beautiful they came out with blue eyes like green eyes you know and just those little comments that are very like deeply seated in in anti-blackness yeah. um because i don't know just like learned behavior society i'm not sure so, yeah, actually, like when, you know, I started dating Marcus, my dad and I didn't speak for five months. Mm. So, like, never did I think, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you're an immigrant, like you are marginalized, like you have felt, you know, like, you've never taught me anything about like being prejudiced or racist. Like, I've never seen that behavior in my dad before. Mm -hmm. um, I've yeah, I've never heard that. So it was just very surprising and shocking to me mm. um, when I saw that reaction. And, and he went like full on like, you're dead to me. I don't want to talk to you. Mm. Um, you're not part of uh, our, my family anymore. Like, I don't want you to talk to anybody else. So it was really bad. Um, wow. But But I think like in that, it made me realize, yeah, just like how how like racist and anti-black the mentality of society like in peru is but also realizing then like he is a white latino right mm -hmm. like so why would i be now thinking now like current melanie i'm like it makes sense it makes mm -hmm. sense like if he's thinking that way because he's like has that whiteness whether it's through his like the culture like you mentioned the mentality or you know his proximity to the color of his skin but yeah I think that's been pretty eye-opening but at the same time trying to constantly like talk to my I'm, like I'm still talking to my parents about like there was recently an election in Peru and the um the president is from like uh indigenous lands mm -hmm. and He's not from Lima, where Lima is the capital, and that's, like, very much where I would say a lot of, like, white Peruvians reside. Um, and so there's this whole thing of, like, what does he know how to do anything? Like, it's, like, and he's trying to celebrate, like, the indigenous community where he grew up. He, like, for the first time, the inauguration was um, the, what is it, national anthem was sung in Quechua. Oh, wow. You know, so it's, like, 
these things are very much like deeply seated from I think what the colonizers brought you know and just love that like the white supremacy coming into Latin America and it's still it's still in my blood like it's still in my dad's blood like and and even though we think of it just like okay well it's like blood or a trait or whatever I I can't help but think like maybe that like power or that like is some sort of part in my DNA too you know and I and I hate that but I'm just like I can't understand why my dad thinks he might be better than some indigenous people in Peru. Like why, where does that come from? You know? Yeah. yeah. So there's just been a lot of like conversations. Um, and then it's funny. Cause then like my, on my mom's side is like, they grew up. Uh, my grandpa was a, a traveling doctor. Like he loved to like serve communities and, you know, rural or just under, served communities in Peru so my mom and her sisters grew up in like indigenous like impoverished areas in Peru Mm. so they didn't their whole life wasn't just the capital which is Lima so I think their perspective is like more open and more understanding that like Peru just isn't Lima yeah yeah. um and I think that has like that has helped in in those conversations. And like, I've had an amazing support from like, you know, my mom's side um, in my relationship with Marcus and everything. And, you know, my, my dad's a lot better now too, but it's, it's just crazy and shocking when, you know, I wonder like Anglo or white U S folks hearing this, it's like, Oh, there's some similar, you know, it's like, it's similar. It's yeah, similar. Yeah. And and I, you can't unmarry that, right? Like, it's like, it's just too similar. And after realizing those things, it's just, it's just good to do the work like within myself and then also understanding like my family and how they operate. And I always tell, like, as I've been telling Marcus and stuff, it's like my parents, if they don't, if they don't show their ID with their name on it, or if they don't talk at all, like if they're just walking through Costco, like I, you know, people would just assume that they're probably white. Maybe like some, you know, they'd be like the mysterious ethnic person, but that's the also privilege, I think. Like growing mm-hmm. up, I was always asked like, what are you? What are you? Like, like I'm sure like you weren't asked that, you know? Like no. it, so it's like- They just called me a, n- <laughs> just kidding. No. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but but it's like there's privilege in like being ambiguous too mm-hmm, mm. and I think that's something that I've also been ex- like realizing as I look back on my childhood like I just grew up being like constantly asked like what are you what are you what are you and like realizing like that's actually a privilege to be asked what am I if they don't if they can't look at me and know yeah you know which I feel like that would be shocking to hear like honestly like if if I was somebody who was like lighter skin and I'd be like no I get offended when I'm asked that question but to hear it as like a privilege or something like that would be like really unsettling even when you say like yeah I'm a white I'm a I'm a white person I'm like ah like to me that like it literally throws my 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 brain for a loop but it also like speaks to the again what I mentioned earlier like the societal structures that have been created this is the ingenuity of white supremacy like to put these systems in place have us to believe these things Totally. Yeah. And I think like Marcus is the same way. He's like, I, I just, I can't like say you're, you know, and it's like, 
it's been hard and it's been this process of like, okay, well, what do I call myself? So I've just been saying like I'm Peruvian because that's mm. what I am. And like, you know, in some instances, like in Peru, um, like I'll definitely be able to be like, yeah, like I'm a white Peruvian, like, and, but again, like you said, like in the U.S. context, we've just narrowed, like we narrowed what it looks like. And so when you think of like Eva Longoria or like Jennifer Lopez, like I'm closer to that, right? Like yeah. how I look, but that's still closer to what. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and just like yeah, just like the the damage that we can do is what's scary to me. And so I think like in having these conversations with my friends or just realizing like the nuance, like I think it could save us from creating more harm um, in that. And and I think like it doesn't take away to something I've been learning is just like it doesn't take away my culture too. Like it's yeah. like I speak mm -hmm. Spanish. Like I have you know, I have my family, those cultural things that are a part of us. But as we look at like race and identity and how we navigate the world and the privileges that we have, I have to acknowledge that. I can't just be like, yeah, like just, you know, because I am some like have ethnic background, I can say that like, for example, I'm an educator, right? Like if they invite me to speak about something like within the latinx culture or like some workshop of like um like undocumented folks or indigeneity or something like you know like that like and i could easily have just i could say yes you know yeah like but that's but then i have a colleague who might like actually be one of those identities and i just took like an opportunity to like have an actual representation mm. of the, that community. And it, it, it almost like, it's honestly like, it's kind of scary how easily that can happen. Um, and how just like, I think just how aware and conscious I want to be um, and sensitive. I want to be to those things because within Latinidad and Latinx, there is a, there is a divide. There is a, you know, like a pool of oh well you know even like me being Peruvian right like it's like oh well I'm not Mexican or I'm not you know it, it's like this separation like we don't even collectively think of being together and that that's honestly the product of white supremacy white supremacy wants to pin us each against each other because mm. then then that takes away from all of us coming together and battling it yeah so I think that, um, yeah, it's just been really important to kind of like, yeah, go through that. And it's been interesting because actually Lindsay sent me a podcast of like two different sides of, of these, uh, of Latinx folks that like one is very light, like very proximity to white skin and then one and they both are but one is like I don't feel comfortable calling myself a person of color anymore because you know again like I haven't um I haven't been afraid of my life like I've I've had all these privileges right like when I walk around the store like all these like living their life mm -hmm. and then this other lady who they're the same like complexion she's very much like 
I am a person of color. Like my dad had to pretend that he was white back then. So that, but even that is a privilege. Like if your dad could have passed, like he took, he used that. Like that, that's, yeah. And, and so yeah. again, oh, she's that's the like, code switch episode. I'll, I'll yeah. plug that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, a good, code that's switch a good one. episode. Um, and it's like, this lady is like doing all these uh, speaking things. Like she's benefiting from the very thing that she's trying to like advocate against like she is like she is producing white supremacy within her own culture like that's and it's it's if you don't recognize that that's the damage that it could do and then you have all of these latinx people listening to her being like oh yay you're doing amazing like all these things and it's like that's not that's not okay yeah um it's not even listening to I forgot Rita Moreno when she defended Lin-Manuel during this whole, you know, like that, like, why are we talking about this? Like, oh, like, it's not your time. It's our time. Like, we've we've waited for this as Latinx people, like, you know, all these different things. I'm like, this is still, you're still um, perpetuating white supremacy. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and you just have your little flair of being ethnic but you still you are the same thing if not like more dangerous to be honest and and what was even interesting about that critique that she her critique of the critiques of the movie was that i didn't hear one critique that said the movie was bad i heard critiques that were like you missed the mark here bro and like this is something that you keep doing like you literally keep doing it like this is not the first time he's been called out like representing in this way. And like some, I've heard people come bring up like Hamilton. Well, I'm like, if you look at Hamilton, everybody's still light skin. There was only one dark skin, maybe two dark skin brothers that actually had like speaking roles that weren't dancing around. You know what I'm saying? So like, we yeah. got to be really clear about like what's going on here. Cause he keeps doing it. So yeah. it, it's really funny. Like, and then to yeah. like in the U.S. context, right? Like into let's say like you know white Anglo, it's like oh, it's so diverse. Look yes. at all the Latina. Like yeah. and no, no, yeah. it's not. And you still, it's more palatable. It's still palatable yeah. because they look closer to you. You know exactly. Yeah. And so. also, it's perpetuating the continual image that this is what Latinos look like. We erase mm. Afro Latinos. We erase Indigenous Latinos. We erase Asian Latinos. Like we're erasing the whole diaspora of what le- le- like Latinidad is. Mm. And then you're just creating like that one image. And then what I hear a lot as I'm, you know, listening to other communities and I'm fall, fo- I follow a lot of like um, Afro Latinx, like uh, Instagram profiles and stuff. It's like people constantly are telling them like, you're Latino. And it's like, it's like how, but you don't look Latino. Like, and so see like the U S context mm is like narrowing what the definition is of what Latinx people look like. And then people who are Afro-Latinos or like indigenous Latin, like all these different identities, they're also getting erased and that's hurtful too. And meanwhile, we, the Latinos and La Raza or whatever, we're putting like Latinos for black lives. We're putting like all these things. And that's just so, it's very like, honestly a little ignorant and just really really dangerous because we could just continue to perpetuate the very thing that we're trying to fight against yeah Mm. we've been tossing out uh like some terms or even like talking about like these ideas is there a difference between um colorism and anti-blackness and then can you break down each of those terms 
in yes, your in your I think words. So. I think so. If not, not, I, not I, a, if not, I could do it. I could okay, do it. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm not a scholar, but, okay. but, but I'm going to try. So okay. I think like I have heard colorism um a lot used in I'm speaking from my perspective. So when I say Latinx culture, not it's not the entirety, right? Because it's the diaspora. So from my experience as like a more proximity to white, white Latino culture, whatever, like family unit. The way I've seen colorism is is like I mentioned earlier, is like the the beauty standards, right? It's like if a if a child is uh lighter or has um blonde hair or lighter eyes, like like green or blue eyes or whatever, any of those phenotypes, right? Like they're gonna be treated very much differently and almost favored than you know, somebody else in your family who might be um, darker or present more indigenous features. Um, like I have, for example, this is probably like one of the few like indigenous features I have is just like there's a Peruvian nose and I have like, you know, like a bump like on my nose. And um, even growing up, my mom would always like kind of just like push my nose up and be like, oh, if it was just a little higher you wouldn't have this bump like if you're once you're 18 like if you want um I can pay for your surgery like I grew up Mm. like hearing that um and so I think like the more phenotypes and features that are more European um looking then that's like you're gonna get treated better in the society um and then anti-blackness I I mention this to you on a personal note but it's like I don't really like to use colorism because I think it's kind of like a more um like easier I don't know how to say it but like it's passive colorism is passive yeah like colorism is passive where it's like just say it what it is it's anti-blackness like the like it just that's what it is and anti-blackness right is like anything that doesn't want to do with anything black and or blackness like culture wise or even like the pigment like anything like that so I really think colorism really just is directly anti-blackness um because even learning about history even in in Peru like there was right the indigenous Incas and then the colonizers of the Spaniards came but then when um the colonizers came there was still this need of like well we also want like a lot of uh people who were who were enslaved came and were brought from different areas of africa so actually a lot of like our peruvian culture like our music like the i don't know if you know do you know what a cajon is yeah yep. so cajon was invented in peru by enslaved afro-peruvians wow so and it was because they were um harvesting a lot of like tea and everything so they had these wooden boxes so they weren't allowed for some reason i don't like haven't read too into it yet but for some reason they weren't like allowed to like create music or something like they weren't allowed to like bring any of their i don't know like cultural music um or instruments so they actually as they were being enslaved and like doing the farm work, they had the boxes for the teas. And so they used those boxes and they would play um, on that box. And then mm. that's how the beginning of the cajon was created. Um, wow. Yeah. So it's really, it's really interesting to see like we, as 
I think when we think of, again, the U.S., when we think of Mexico, when we think of Venezuela, any, any part, right, like of a Latin America, we think like there's just a bunch of me's, a bunch of J-Lo's, a bunch of Eva Lagorte. Like that's all we think of, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. like when you go to Panama, it's, it's mainly um, Afro-Panamanians. And like in Peru, we actually have a very high percentage of uh, Japanese Peruvians and like Chinese Peruvians. So I think something, too, is like, how do we continue to push away from the U.S. narrow minded context of what Latinidad is or Latinx like people look like? Because it's just it's done a great job at narrowing just a little of what it looks like. So when we look at somebody who might be just a little drop of ethnic, like 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 myself, then it's like, oh, she's Latina. Oh, she like that's you know. But then when you look at somebody who might be Afro Latino, then it's like we just automatically think that they're like American black. But how do we how do we like break away from those boxes and categories that the U.S. really just wants to make easy but it's it's not like the the harder we make it actually the better we we care for people and actually it opens our our mind to not only think of the u.s but the whole world <laughs> mm. because we're we're literally in a globe so yeah yeah and so i know we're talking about this so we've talked about a lot of things already <laughs> I know. um and it's kind of hard to i i mean if I even not just summer, not summarize, but like, as we're talking about this, as I'm even like processing still, and I'm probably still gonna be processing this even when I'm editing it. But there is just so much that are that is here, like there's so many layers to it, it is incredibly complicated. And we're trying to do this in like an hour um, to just like dialogue about it. And so there's like, I think even the encouragement is to like continue to do like, honestly, like continue to do the work, listen, um, the podcast, read, whatever, like, because it, it, it really is difficult. And I think like, even when you say like, I'm a, like, I'm a white person. I'm like, that still like literally throws me for a loop because like, I, I'm not only think, I think for me, when I think about that, it's like, I do think of like, um, uh, I think of it culturally and like what whiteness is as a culture and not necessarily like Boop, boop, like bringing it out like uh, a broader scope or on a macro level of like what white is like the actual skin tone of white or, or closely to that and so like that's we have to like understand the difference between like race and identity or racial identity and ethnic identity because I feel like there's a gigantic confusion there so it, it is it's big and complicated and like we can't even forget about like culture and all that stuff so um but yeah it's it's so complicated but like as you continue to like process this, as you're having like conversations and um, diving into this, what has been like the response from the people in your life as you even, you know, shared? Yeah. I am yeah. white. <laughs> I know. It's like a weird, it's just, it's weird because um, I I want to continue to be like, and again, if there's any listeners who are Latinx and like want to explore this more, like I am happy to talk about this because I think that we as a community of folks who might look like me in that proximity to white skin, like we haven't had this conversation. Like we haven't really 
come to terms of what this is or even the privileges that we can have. And so I think as I have this conversation more, I want to like bring in these like Latinx folks to have more of these conversations because how are we going to be anti-racist or center like blackness if we don't do this work within ourselves? Um, and again, like I don't want to become another uh, Maya Ponsetto of the world. Like I don't want to um, become someone who takes a role from somebody else's community just because I pass the ethnic enough check mark, you know. Mm. Um, and so I think too, like I've been talking to. Uh, interesting, I just had like coffee a little bit a while ago with somebody who who is also Peruvian and. Um, it, it's almost like our journeys were actually have like very much separated of I'm now going into the realm of like realizing that my proximity to white skin is a privilege and like how do I now navigate my identity within that and then he's been now more on the side where he's like you know I took a DNA test he didn't turn out to be 100% you know <laughs> that bitch but <laughs> Um, he, his, his indigeneity, I can't, oh gosh, this indigenous, (laughs) indigenous, um, percentage was like 75%. So he's been now more on this like journey of actually now identifying being indigenous. Mm. So it's interesting because like, I think in talking to him, I think he was like pretty worried about me like being saying I'm white and I think and I think that's funny to be honest because I'm just like why are you worried like I can't do any like more damage than I have done right like it's like if anything it's it's more it's realizing like how can I leverage my privilege where are my privileges in this because again I don't want to take away from an opportunity from someone else. Like if I really am here to do the work and really be anti-racist, then I have to recognize the areas where, where I can be doing that. Um, And, and it doesn't take away from my Peruvianness. I'm I'm not like now going to be like, okay, I'm going to dye my hair blonde and I'm going to like play Bunko all the time. Like I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Like, I am still who I am. I am Peruvian. I know that. Like, part of my identity is being an Im- like children of immigrants. So I like the Spanglish in the house. The like having to you know translate documents for your family or having to to do all those things. Like those are very much things that I understand that maybe again U.S. context white Anglo folks might not have had to do that. But, but also like my parents were like able to buy a home. They were able to get an education. Like there's these things that I, that I still have to recognize, like thinking of, you know, when my dad um, got a job, he got a job during the nineties when the tech boom was happening and we lived in the Bay area. So they were just like hiring everyone and training them because it was like the new technology. And 
as I, my dad is very smart. Like he um, is an engineer by trade in Peru, but because of the credentials don't count here, he had to start from scratch, went to community college, learned English. Like I'm not trying to invalidate, you know, his, his ability, you know, to do the job. But at the same time, I can't help but think if it was between my dad and maybe somebody darker, would they have just picked my dad first? You know, like, it's just those those thoughts of, like, I have to recognize that those privileges along the way and, like, how their life, you know, and the things that they were able to experience as immigrants, how much of that was that because they might have been that comfortable ethnic person, mm-hmm. like, just a little ethnic enough for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So... I can't help but think that I have to recognize that as well, right? Like, obviously, validating their experiences as immigrants, but I have to also think of, hmm, who was the hiring manager? And if they were white, they probably had a preference or it was just that that enough. Um, and to be honest, like, I've had those experiences too where, yeah, like, I probably was, like, that person that was like eh, yeah it's like just comfortable enough um even like house sitting right like all these people's homes growing up and I don't know if they would have asked somebody else in my neighbor you know like it's, yeah. it's just just acknowledging that I guess is what I want to do um but yeah those conversations and, and hearing other Latinx folks it's I don't want them to get worrisome like it's not something that erases my whole identity if anything there's freedom and nuance and there's almost like power in this nuance of knowing that um because again i want to be able to do right by my community and my culture and centering centering those who who do practice like indigenous medicinal like cult, like whatever it could be like I and, and I don't know I can't speak honestly for them either but like you know if we were on the similar journey if I was then identifying with indigenous then like would my next thing be to learn Quechua and then to you know see what type of practices they do like I don't know if that feels right because that's not how I was raised mm-hmm. you know yeah um and yeah, it just doesn't, it would feel, it feels like even talking about it to me specifically, it feels a little like icky, you know, and as part, as that's part of my ancestry, like, I want to honor that, like, you know, when we say honor, honor our ancestors, like, I want to honor that, but I also want to acknowledge, like, how I present today, um, and how my ancestors, like, presented then, like, there was an intentional erasure of those ancestors yeah. <laughs> along the way. So now as I present today, how can I like leverage these privileges in order to make sure I am highlighting or representing or, you know, centering the voices that still exist um, today. And especially as, you know, I'm in a biracial marriage um it's important for me to really understand that now um because if if there are children in the future it's like 
I can't, like, I'm going to have children who are much darker than me, and there's going to be things that I could even do that are damaging if I don't do this nuanced work within myself, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, so I'm just like, it's important to to really dig into this. Um, it's just created this whole mess of Latinidad and it's it's honestly a huge mess it's like we could go on and on we could probably get our PhDs in this like (laughs) it it's really really messy it's very very messy yeah well I was even going to say like you know the term I always heard was like light-skinned like you're light-skinned or something like that and not say white and so even that is like a a distancing from like whiteness in and of itself and like why do we do that but even that question why do we do that could be a a whole podcast in and of itself but i've held i, I don't want to hold you i don't want to hold you uh for much longer because i know we've already been talking it's for good. a minute but yeah. seriously thank you so much for for sharing everything you shared yeah i really do appreciate it this was this was dope i really do appreciate it yeah for sure and just to like let listeners know like i'm still in the like in the thick of it <laughs> like mm-hmm. into the thick of it yeah right? so um like I am very much like all of this is very raw like I am this is new like this is new for me to like explore that but but I feel very much like this is an intentional time to really evaluate what that nuance is and explore what that is because again the more and more I can explore this I think that there will be like liberation and understanding more of how I can present myself or how I can like really be anti-racist so yeah I think like I'm just new in this too I'm not an expert but I'm I'm willing to like talk about this and in my experience so yeah thank you that's awesome and we greatly appreciate it I know the real fam appreciates it um well fam I'm gonna let you go thank you so much for for joining the, the pod today yes thank you We all are, hopefully, (laughs) continuously working to understand ourselves better. And sometimes we encounter things within ourselves that we don't want to face. I don't know about y'all, but to me, the process of learning is not always the most comfortable thing to go through. Especially when I find out that my ignorance or lack of understanding has been causing a lot of harm along the way. But regardless, the process of progress is continuing forward through the mess. And granted, not always. Sometimes you go around it. Sometimes you might find ways to go under it. But most often, you just have to work through it. Human work is nuanced, it's messy, it's complicated. That's why I appreciated Melanie's willingness to share with us her story and journey. She unpacked a lot for us and modeled incredibly well what allyship, accountability, and self-discovery can look like. I'm reminded of something Litsi Segu, aka the social justice doula said, how can you be my ally when you're avoiding your whiteness? If you are not clear about your context, how are you going to be clear how to disrupt, dismantle, and divest from white supremacy? So until you get your identity straight, you are nobody's nothing other than a problematic person who at any moment any moment is going to cause serious harm. Hmm. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening.
This podcast was produced by myself, Jonathan Dumas. Additional production help by the incomparable Lindsay Dumas. With music by the oh-so-talented Mr. Tony Deras. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. It really helps folks discover the show. Till next time, y'all. Peace.